Hi, everybody. Today we're speaking with Tibor Shanto. <laughs> He's a, an intergalactic short order cook, which you're going to find out soon. Uh, but he's actually going to speak to us about what is a sales leader's role? How do you invest in your time as a sales leader? And as he's helped many, many founders and sales leaders out there, he's going to speak about the biggest mistake made when hiring salespeople. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Mike Koskina. He's a SDR guru, and he's going to be sharing his thoughts about should SDR be under marketing or sales, as well as many other uh, tips and tricks on getting your SCR team to perform better. Really looking forward to our meeting today with Tibor. I hope you enjoy. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Great, Tibor. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Good. So let's start with uh, the, the basic question. How did you get into sales? Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting story. I don't know if your audience will remember that moment in time back around 1979 when the world stopped worrying about the next ice age and started focusing on the uh, global warming and climate change routine that we're into now. Well, in fact, what happened is myself and a few colleagues were short order cooks on an intergalactic freighter that happened to crash on Earth. And that crash was <laughs> what caused the change from the cold worries to the hot worries. So we realized that we weren't going to get back onto our planet for a long, long time. So we needed to find a way to sustain ourselves, apartments, food, and this and that. So we had to get a job that didn't require a lot of skill. So we went for sales. That's <laughs> Sounds how I like you've been sales. reading a lot of Douglas Adams. Well, who knows? Maybe he had the same journey. I think <laughs> I got into sales much the same way as other people in as much as... Inevitably, if you work for a corporation, you get exposed to sales, and I found it interesting for two reasons. One is it allowed me to work with people in an interesting way because sales is really helping them achieve their objectives and their goals. And candidly, if you do it well, you can make more money than most people in society, which was a bonus. <laughs> it's always a plus. All right. So... A little bit of background for, for those listening is, is you're kind of a, a coach uh, for sales for executives. Uh, you've also written a couple of books. You're a public speaker, uh, all regarding sales and the process around sales, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Good. So I kind of want to break this conversation into two different parts. Uh, and the first being the shorter of kind of talking about coaching of executives. And then I want to move into the the sales part itself. So you offer coaching to executives. What are some of the top problems that you that these executives are having that you uh, are finding? So just to be completely accurate, I would say I offer coaching to sales leaders, which include you know frontline managers, middle managers, and then executives, VPs of sales, and so on. And I think that the thing that I focus with them on is somewhat straightforward and sometimes surprising to me that they don't latch on to easier and I try and convince them that 
their role as a sales leader, whether it's a frontline manager or you know a founder of a company or a recently appointed sales leader in a startup or whatever, but their role really is to sell or persuade their team um, to execute their sale in a way that reflects the best outcomes for the companies. So in a sense, they constantly have to sell their people on why it is that they should be approaching their marketplace in the way that they are. And through that process, I think they have a great ability to A, develop their people, but B, also ensure that their sales process is being adhered to without bringing in the usual you know, heaviness that there is in, in larger corporations associated with sales processes. So I think to bring it down, um, I try and persuade and remind them that even though they have these new responsibilities and new accountabilities in leading the company in ways other than when they were just a frontline salesperson, what they're trying to do is really the same, which is to continue to interact with their team and understand how they can help them do their job better. And in doing their job better, they're helping the company. So to me, it's just selling a different concept to an audience that should be slightly more willing to listen to you. So how does one, how does one sell that, uh, that uh, process? So one of the things that I think is key to success, whether you're in sales or leadership or other areas, I'm sure, but mostly I know sales, um, is really how you leverage your time. If you think about all the resources available to an entrepreneur, to a salesperson, to somebody in between those two points, the one thing, the one non-renewable resource that we all have is time and how I utilize that time. And I use the expression very specifically, how I invest that time becomes very important. So I try and get salespeople and sales leaders in a, in a coaching role to think about time, not as sort of this abstract concept that most of us tend to think about, but as being something tangible. And the notion that I dr drill into their head is the number 1,760. And the reason I go with that number is 220 sales days in a year, in those sales days, probably your customers are available to you about eight hours of those days. So those are the prime times for any salesperson. A sales leader, it's a little bit different. You look at your time as you know, focused on other things, but at the end of the day, at the start of every day, you and I are given 24 hours. At the end of that, what will make the difference is how we choose to utilize, invest, spend, squander, whichever word you want to use, those 24 hours. So that concept of time, you can then take and say, okay, so where is it important for you to spend time? So for those people who've dealt with money managers or wealth managers, one of the first things that they do is they try and understand your profile, what you're trying to do, your risk profile, everything that makes Adam Adam and everything that makes Tibor Tibor. And then they begin to understand what your investment objectives are. You know, if you're older, it might be retirement. If you're younger, it might be college and, and housing, whatever your personal requirement is, much like with a customer. And then you ask yourself, if I'm to achieve that, you know, the, the wealth manager says, if I'm to achieve that for Adam, who's my customer, I'm going to start having to allocate his fund into specific classes of assets, whether it's stock, derivatives, debt, whatever the case might be. And they're going to try and put together a portfolio of your, uh, uh, of your assets that's going to deliver the best results. So if we take that analogy to time and we look at that $1,760 and let's say, you know, and maybe for a startup owner, it might be 2,500 hours, but there's going to be a finite set of hours that you're going to be able to be in the business as it were in a given year. 
And if you can take that time and think about it and say, okay, these were dollars and I had to make sure that by the end of the year, I've grown the business by this much, I've added these resources and everything else that, that I've set out to do, how will I have to invest the 1760 Now, in the case of a wealth manager, it's how will I invest those $1,760. In the case of a business person, a salesperson, it's a question of how I invest those 1,760 hours in order to maximize the return. So with executives, we try and get them to understand how could they most positively impact the outcome of the company, whether that's by what they do, um, products that they're involved in, or how they lead, or any of the other things. And I think a lot of times when we first sit down, or I first sit down with salespeople and executives, they're not quite sure how they're spending their time, and they're not quite sure what they should be spending their time on. And we find that just that alignment, which sometimes takes a little bit of time and a little bit of pain, all of a sudden opens up a whole bunch of bandwidth that allows them to gain focus elsewhere. That was okay, a long but, answer, so I'll stop. <laughs> no, no, it's good. But uh, where should the these leaders be spending most of their time? So I think it depends on what their role is. So one of the fortunate or unfortunate things when you're a startup is you probably are most of the roles in the company. You know, it's the old expression that everybody likes to use: cheap bottle washer. So you know, I think you need to step back and say. Where is the business going to succeed? So what can I bring to the business? So part of it is understanding what your role within the business is. And again, if you're a chief bottle washer, that might be confusing because you could be doing two or three roles at any given time. And that's why I think you need to step back and really look at what your activities are vis-a-vis -vis what your business objectives are. And if you can begin to feel comfortable with not getting some things done. So going back to this allocation of time, one of the things that it leads to is really understanding, you know, what's important, you know, what's urgent, and then different combinations thereof. And there are some things that are urgent, but if they don't get done, the world will continue to spin and will, your company will continue to generate product and profit and so on. And then there are some things that are important, but if you don't do them till the weekend, the world will continue to spin. So I think sitting back and figuring out which of these things require my time. Also, one of the hardest things for salespeople and for executives is to allocate time for things that they don't feel are busy work. So one of the important things we get you know, sales leaders to do is to actually carve out time in their calendar where they step back and they just think. There's no particular topic. It's just we're giving them an hour to think about their business based on where they are that week. And we encourage them to do it a couple of times a week, but I also understand the demands on their time. So I think a lot of this starts long before we get onto the playing field and really stepping back and understanding what your objectives are, understanding what your target market is, and then what has to get done if we're going to succeed in that. Interesting. So when you have somebody uh, spend an hour, well, just with like a pen and paper and just put everything that comes to their mind down on paper? It works in different ways. So, I mean, with a lot of younger companies, we try and get them to think through certain things. So if you think of the first process, we're obviously going to come out with three, four, five things. And you get any more than that, you're just asking for confusion and, and disappointment. You know, again, one of the things that is an interesting turning point when I'm working with, with sales leaders is when they realize that there's some stuff that it's okay if they don't do. 
Like, you know, nowhere in your job description does it say you have to do everything before you go home. It just says you have to do the right things to make sure that the business continues in the trajectory that it's in. So there are some things that it's okay if you don't do. Um, I'm sure your audience has read the uh, the four-hour work, four work week. Or at least Tim Ferriss. Yeah. So in there, he talks about how if you give people time, they'll figure it out on their own. So... It's that type of thing. So sometimes it's not a question of having this structure and having that quote-unquote smart process to having a meeting and all that corporate mumbo-jumbo, but it's just having that void, the ability to think and allow your brain to actually catch up with all the stuff that it's taken in that it needs to process. So, you know, again, having that time to just step back and thinking about it. So it might be but I have this ongoing problem. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to export product to Germany. So it might be that I'm thinking about that in different ways. Or it might be that something comes up just an hour before the, uh, the time that I have it allocated away, and it gives me an opportunity to think. But with salespeople, we take it a different way. Every salesperson complains about not being able to get something done because an emergency came in. But if you think about it, emergencies are part of everyday sales, right? So I don't know when that thing's going to hit the fan, but I know it's going to hit it so many times per week. So I could actually plan for it. So I don't know when my customer is going to call with a problem, but over the years, I've figured out that generally about three or four customers are going to call and demand some of my time. And I don't mean demand negatively. I just mean that I need to allocate for it, right? Because if I don't allocate for it, I still have to respond to the customer, but now I will be taking time away from something else that's not going to get done. So it's important to put in those breaks of time. If you're a salesperson, you know that you so many times a week, a real emergency is going to come in. And we're not talking about fake emergencies where I'm trying to avoid doing something I don't like, but we're talking about real emergencies where a customer has to be dealt with. You really do have to put down what you're working on and deal with this emergency. Well, putting time aside for that is a real foreign concept for salespeople, so they don't do it, but the emergency comes in and they have to stop what they're doing and deal with it. And this thing they were doing doesn't get done. And the thing that they doesn't get done most often for salespeople is prospecting. And the thing that doesn't get done most often for leaders is planning. So if they put that hour aside and the leaders use it for thinking and planning and salespeople use it for thinking about how they get ahead of emergencies, the system would work a little better. Yeah, being uh, proactive instead of reactive. That's right. Okay. Good. So let's let's move into the other side of this, uh, the conversation that I mentioned before, uh, and the the sales process. And I want to start with uh, how do you hire a good salesperson? What do you look for in an interview? So I think this does differ based on the size and type of company that you are. Um, so you know in Let's deal with sort of startups and smaller companies as opposed to established, ongoing. And I think one of the things I tend to see with smaller companies that I've worked with who necessarily have to run on a shoestring or, you know, be a bit more enterprising and so on is the founder may have had a lot of success because he or she built the product from the ground up. They know it. They're passionate. They're familiar with every nuance, every bit and bite and so on. And they get really enthusiastic about it. And but they're not really good salespeople. Whatever sales they made had really been through energy and people just picking up on 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 that. But 
as they start to grow and need some real sales, they make the mistake of hiring somebody that's like them. They'll hire somebody that they could talk to that uses all the same language they can have a real good time with. Clearly, Adam gets it because he sounds just like me. But the problem is, is that he needs a salesperson. He doesn't need another person that sounds like them. So I think that they really need to focus their interviews on sales as opposed to product. And if they need help for that, I think it's an investment worth making because, again, people tend to talk about what they know, what the founders of companies know. They know their product. They know their market. And if they have a good conversation with somebody who's simpatico, they'll feel that this person can do the job, but not really. They'll be able to do exactly what the guy's been doing, and he set out to look for something different. So what I would do is think about scenarios where sales have either stumbled or maybe went sideways or whatever the case is, and formulate questions around those scenarios with the intent of understanding how the person thinks. So if I can ask you, Adam, tell me about a time when you faced this kind of situation, what you took away from it, and how you did things differently the next time, I can get a real good sense of how you would handle a situation like that. So if I can, as an owner, stay away from testing you around product, because I could teach you about product. I know the product. I built it, right? What I need is a salesperson. So what I think these people should do is formulate interview questions that deal with specific situations that they know that they faced in trying to sell their product to real customers. I think that's a very good solution, especially for for those founders that don't know sales, like you said, but they've experienced a, a closed loss deal. Uh, so yeah. focus around that. And see okay. how, you know, the person, so you'll find two things from that. One is you'll see if the person actually has had that experience, because if you ask them to describe what they did last time they faced this and you get the deer in the headlight, you know, they've never been there. And that should be a red flag that maybe this person isn't the right one. They might be a nice guy, but they're just not right for the job. Right. Um, the second is, again, you'll just figure out their, how, how they could think. I mean, I think one of the things that's a little bit different for smaller and startup companies is that they do need to get people who are who do have the ability to think. And I don't mean to sound cynical and nasty, but, you know, a lot of salespeople in larger corporations are wound up, you know, to follow the process. You know, a program is stuck somewhere in, 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 a, in, a, in a thumb drive somewhere in their bodies, and they go out and they do the same thing every day. Small businesses can't afford that. They need somebody who can think and be situational. And so how do you how do you look for that in the interview? You test it. That's what I mean. You test out the scenarios. You give them scenarios that you faced. You give them scenarios that you think will be relevant. You give them scenarios that your product could solve that maybe you think other people can solve. And if they can't talk to it, then how are they going to be able to relate it to a customer? But what you want to check, again, is not whether they can sell your product, but whether they can address scenarios where your product did not go further. Interesting. I think that's a very good tip and uh, a good action item for people to start using right away when looking for salespeople. All right. And you don't have to get along with them. Their, Their job is not to be your best friend. Their job is to make you money. And salespeople, good salespeople by nature, are not are going to be a bit different. And the ones that they should watch for is the socializing salesperson. I'm not talking about social selling and social media, but you know, if the guy's in the building more than 50% of the time, he is not the guy for you. So you don't want a socializer. You want somebody who enjoys going out there and making things happen. Unless you're inside sales. <laughs> 
<laughs> Still, you don't want him socializing with the guy next to you. You yeah. want him on the phone. But yes, you're absolutely right. But I think it's the mindset um, that ultimately will drive it. But yes, inside sales, you do want him to stay close to that phone. Yes. Okay. They, they tease me in my office a little bit because I'm always uh, grabbing lunch and sitting in front of the computer. I'm always I'm I'm never one for the social uh, the social aspect in the in the company events. <laughs> no, there's time for that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here saying you know put everybody you know in, in a cube and lock them in. But I think again, if you set time aside for it, if you're on top of your time, like we talked about earlier, everything can fall into place. It's just you know. You know, without taking it too far back, I mean, one of the reasons that people multitask is all of a sudden there's a deadline coming and they have to get stuff done. Whereas if they would have gotten ahead of it, they wouldn't be facing the the need to multitask as often as they do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's go. Now we've hired the right person. We've got them. Mm-hmm. We've got them onboarded and everything. I want to talk about outbound prospecting because this is something that I see you've you've put a lot of videos on. YouTube and you've written a lot of content for, and this is a an big problem. I'm sorry. I have an opinion. Yeah, I have an opinion. <laughs> so what is that opinion? I think if you're not doing it, you're in the wrong business. So I think, you know, as with anything, but you know, I live in sales, you know, you end up in camps, you know, you get all these tribes and then people try and figure out how their tribe is like better than the other tribe as opposed to figuring out how if we got these tribes together, we can go further. So, I think where the reason I particularly make a lot of noise about outbound is I don't think it's a question of outbound inbound. I think it's what does it take for you to get the revenue that your company needs to continue? And in most instances, I don't think it's one versus the other. It's a combination of both. I was listening to one of your previous guests and frankly, I think they got it a little wrong, but they found out when they started doing outbound that it actually works. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who was that? Do you remember? I think, I think it was Sheer or something like that, but the fellow that came from Hotspot. Okay. So let's let's go back to the beginning of the outbound sure. prospecting. How do you find the right target uh, market to call on? So that I find to be one of the most bizarre questions that, that I get asked that and another one that I'm sure you'll ask me in a couple of minutes. But And don't take it personally. I think it's the way I look at sales. So I think that finding the right finding the target and finding the right people and even getting down to the point of finding the right leads. I get a lot of salespeople asking me that and candidly, I can't relate to it because I don't find that difficult. The difficult part is getting to them. So once I find out that at XYZ company, I need to speak to these six people to begin the conversation around the consensus around my, my product, getting to those six people might be difficult, but identifying who they are and all that, I think with all the tools available today, um, you know, if you're brand new, you may not be able to use the concept of startups, but most of the time there's something like that. And so what I do is I look for lookalikes, right? So if I've had success with this kind of company, who looks exactly like them, who looks like them a lot, who looks pretty much like them and who doesn't look like them at all, right? So then now within the people who look exactly like them, I have a ready set of audience, and not only do I know who they are, but I'm pretty good with the jargon having just sold to the other guy, and I'm pretty good with what issues I was able to solve for them because I just did that. So I think uh, I'm always surprised when I introduce this concept of lookalikes, why people don't think of it. Um, Then the other is there are 
companies that do different things, but the process of doing those things is not that different. And I think salespeople sometimes get confused because they don't relate to the fact that an auto mechanic might actually buy or do things exactly the same way as maybe, you know, a consulting firm. That's stretching a little, but, you know, candidly having trained copier companies and having trained, you know, wireless telephone companies and having trained, you know, people who do testing on networks and all that, the product and the people's faces change, but the means of selling and the process of selling is not that different. So I don't know why people have difficulty identifying who their market is and then segmenting it and, and, and beginning to tier it based on specific attributes. I mean, unless you just came to the planet like I did in 79, I don't think this is a difficult thing. That's because you have experience and you've uh, you, you've worked in this field for for enough time to make it a natural uh, natural part of your process. No, I think that there are some things that I will take that that it's a question of experience, but I really do think it's a question of how you view what your task is, and I find that a lot of times. And this is different, again, in corporate versus the startup. The startup community is a breath of fresh air because they're just full of energy, and let's just go tell me where I need to point it. What I do find is there's a sense of enablement, and, and it's oddly enough that the, 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 the industries in, in, embrace this notion of sales enablement. The, the sense of entitlement or what have you among salespeople that, like, all they have to do is show up. Well, I'm sorry. No, you know, like uh, I used to own the domain that sales is a blue collar job because there are some elements of having to lift some rocks and looking underneath and understanding what's what. But I think maybe my frustration is, is that I view your question as some salespeople asking me, how could they work less? I just think <laughs> it is hard work, but it's doable. You know, to me, that's not the hard part. The hard part is, what do I say to the guy once I get him on the phone? Or how do I continue the dialogue once ostensibly there seems to be a road bump or something like that? I don't find finding who I want to sell to and why and how to get to them that difficult. It's the getting to them that starts the hard yeah. part. But I'm willing, you know, again, I, I'm a child of my age and you know, I use LinkedIn. I use all the tools on the web. You know, I mean, people can do different things. So I'll give you an example of what I do that, you know, my job is to sell VPs of sales on hiring me and my company to train their sales teams, right? So one of the things that I have is up on all the job boards, Monster, Indeed, there's a Canadian one since I live here. I have a resume up there on all of them, not because I'm looking for a job, but because I put a resume up there, it allows me to create a filter. And the filter I create is people looking for salespeople in certain geographies. So as soon as somebody posts an ad for a job person, a job in Toronto for a salesperson, I get an email from Monster and they get a phone call within 30 seconds. So I'm not way ahead of the pack. And that's how I get leads because I figure people who are hiring salespeople are going to be thinking about how do I onboard them? And then maybe by extension, how do I help the rest of the team? Be good as well. So little things like that are, are, I don't think it comes down to agent experience. I think it comes down to, are you willing to roll up your sleeve and do a little work? Yeah. And are you hungry? And think, think outside of the box uh, and be proactive. Yeah. And I, that's why I say the startup community, A, automatically wants to be outside the box. They don't want the security of the box. They're quite willing to, you know, take reasonable amounts of risk for a reasonable amount of return. 
And they seem to be, uh, my experience has been, is that if you challenge them, they'll actually think back. And the next thing you know, you got an idea that was better than either of you thought. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you you said something that when you get that alert from uh, Monster or whatever, that you get mm-hmm. they get a call within 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. And this leads me to one of my next questions is because I've seen a lot of content from you about around cold calling. Uh, now, but for those that have not been reading your content, what are your thoughts on cold calling? I love it. You know, I mean, you know, again, you know, remember, I, I was the guy that changed the planet from being ice age to global warming. So I'm missing cold calling. But listen, I think it's a combination of things, as I said earlier. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sales Loft, but I saw some research that they did. They were in town for a presentation in late winter. And what they showed is that the best combination, best result for getting to a prospect in a cold way using outbound approaches was a combination of email, LinkedIn, and telephone. When you removed any one of those threes, the number were measurably different in terms of outcomes. So the best outcomes were when you combined email, LinkedIn, and telephone. So if you're not cold calling, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're giving people like me more money. Hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. Send it to me. I'll give you the address at the end, you know, like, but I mean, seriously, like, I think that people forget that they're trying to sell to somebody other than them. And so it's fine if you're comfortable with communicating with people on LinkedIn, but I'm not, I'm still, you know, you have my email, send me an email, right? Like you notice how when you and I started our correspondence, I quickly turned you to email because I don't like corresponding through LinkedIn, right? So I think if you're going to try and sell somebody something, you should talk to them in the mode of communication that they prefer. So I I go beyond LinkedIn, email, and telephone. I go to text. Um, I'll go to snail mail. I use an online service that sends out greeting cards with my hands on it. So the receptionist, the so-called gatekeeper, they will not open a handwritten greeting cards sent to their boss. They will pass that on. I've had people open up those greeting cards and call me and say, come and see me. Does every one of them do it? No, but enough do it over the years that it's an effort that that is worth continuing. So I think it's fairly arrogant of a salesperson to assume that everybody on the planet has the same mode of communication that they do. So as soon as you accept that you are not the template for a perfect human being and there are others who have different preferences, you have to take into account that a percentage of those preferences is going to, a percentage of those people's preferences is going to be the telephone. So you got to pick it up and dial it along with your emails, LinkedIn, and tweets. Okay. So that, then what's, what's the best way to pick up the phone and, and how do you start that conversation when you're a startup and you don't have the brand recognition? So I think there, that is a challenge, so I'm not going to hide from it. It's a lot easier to say I'm calling from IBM than to calling from BMI, right? So I'm, I'm with you on that. But having said that, that name recognition is probably going to get you about 10 seconds on the call. So you can call and say you're from you know, IBM or PwC or whoever you know, that Sterling company is. But if you don't start making sense to the person with about 15 seconds of that, it's not going to last much longer than that, right? Yeah. So... You've got that 15 seconds that is a bit harder for the startup person than the IBM guy. But after that, we all go into the same pot, right? So there's two things that are going to come into play. Um, so you ask me where it starts. It starts probably weeks before you pick up the phone. 
So it starts on two channels, right? Is what are you going to say to the guy, right? So everybody calls up and they start about how they can be the best aspirin or Tylenol for the guy's pain or problem. Most people, like if you look at the market, about 70% of the market sees itself as being status quo, right? Inside the box is safe. And you know the old sales saying that the biggest competitor any salesperson has is the status quo. So if you call that 70% and start talking about the pains that you can solve, which is what most marketing departments will tell their salespeople, go out there and tell them what solutions you have for their pain and problems. But if 70% of the market isn't willing to admit that they have a pain, how long is that conversation going to last? Not long, right? So, But the one thing that everybody has in common in business is objectives. And small business people can relate to that because they started the business with an objective. So now it's a question, okay, so you started this business thinking that you're going to do what for the planet? What was your product going to answer? And then deal with the objectives that you're able to address with your product that potential clients will have. And again, even somebody in that status quo who doesn't have a pain, who's living a carefree life, has an objective. If you can get them to exchange with you where they want to be 18 months from now, you could probably sell them something. So if you know nothing about the person you're meeting with, here's a simple way to start a conversation. Let's say you and I had met never, and you know we sat down, and I said to you, Adam, if we were sitting here 18 months from now, and you were telling me that your team had hit a grand slam, what would that look like? Now, the hardest thing for salespeople and maybe startup owners as well is to stay quiet at this point because you've asked the person a question that they probably hadn't considered in the last couple of hours. And remember, most of us are trying to pack 16 hours into a 10-hour day. When was the last time you felt you left the office and had all of your to-do list done? <laughs> yeah. so, there's, so there's always this notion of you know having to do all these things and so on. So you know, if you can start off with focusing on their objectives, what what is somebody looking to do 18 months from now? So let them think about it. Most salespeople have this thing that, you know, if the guy doesn't answer in three seconds, holy shit, I got to jump in and say something. No, you don't, you know, like take your time, you know, think about what you're going to have for lunch or think about where you're going to get your next coffee. Give the guy 10, 15 seconds to think because you really just asked a profound question. You've allowed them to release all their stress of today and begin to picture nirvana 18 months from now, right? And, you know, if you do this, you'll physically see them change. Literally, you'll see them lean back in their chair, and some of them will put their hands on top of their head, you know, the way that we do when we think, because all of a sudden we've been given permission to think. They don't have a lot of permission to think during the day because they're trying to get through it, right? They do their thinking in rush hour on the way to work, hoping they survive till 5 o'clock, right? So if you give them permission to think, let them think. Don't say anything. Just let it, you know, let it sit there, very zen, right? And all of a sudden, they'll start telling you that they'll, it'll look like this. We'll have so many sales, or we'll have penetrated this market, or we'll have introduced this product. You can picture it, right? Like, they'll start telling you. And don't interrupt. Like, just take copious notes. If they talk for five minutes, great. If they talk for 20 minutes, more notes. But shut up and let them, t- let them talk, right? And when Adam finishes telling me what, perfection looks like in 18 months, because that's what I ask. What would a grand slam look like in 18 months? You take a second and you look very considered. You look over your notes and you look at the person in the eye and you say, that's great. I can see why those objectives. But Adam, help me understand why we're not there now. And in answer to that question, why we're not there now, they'll tell you all the things that they perceive 
are preventing them from perfection. And if you're talking to the right person, you'll probably be able to sell them something that moves the dial at least on one of those things. Wow. Uh, very impactful. Uh, asking those open-ended questions uh, is key. And w- what you said about shutting up uh, after you ask that question is this is something I also teach my team. Have a glass of water next to you. So when you ask that question, you could just start slowly drinking that so you, it stops you from your urge to speak as well. I remember telling you, I, when you say that, this is a family show or can I express what I said to him? Yeah, you could so say. You could say. When you finish this question, shut the fuck up. If you have to bite your tongue, bite it, just shut up. I was a little surprised when there was blood coming out of his mouth, but he did shut up, you know. (laughs) He learned his lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Got the sale, too. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. It's all worth it. What's a little bit of blood in the mouth? There you go. So what what tools uh, are you have you seen or do you use uh, for this outbound prospecting with the cold calling? You said you had one uh, for the snail mail. What are these? Yeah, I, so I use, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not in, well, the ones I'll endorse, you'll know about. The other ones I just use. How's that? So I use, send out, I use sendoutcards.com. There's plenty of other great services like that. Um, I got onto it early. The great thing was at the time, as I mentioned earlier, is that, they allowed me to scan, scan my, my, my handwriting in so now I could sit at my keyboard and individuals get what looks to be a handwritten card. Um, I like LinkedIn, you know, I mean, you know, it's right there, it's usable, it's got everything that you need. Um, I like Google because I think that if you can, again, free yourself from invention, you could do some interesting searches in Google. And I have this regularly, people, you know, taking us back to a different topic. Um, People will ask me, I can't get this guy's phone number. I can't get this guy's phone number. And you go to Google, like five minutes later, you can get the guy's phone number. You know, you just have to make a bit of effort. You know, recently I showed a guy, you know where I got the guy's phone number? It was in his church group, Sunday morning, whatever. But his cell number was there. We called him, we got the appointment. So, you know, it's a little, you know, a little bit of old school Google goes a long way. Um, I've seen a lot of tools and there's a lot of different tools. I was always... um, big um, proponent of uh, the Charlie app, which gives me insight on people before I go and see them. Um, I think you have to use some form of CRM, and depending on the business that you're in, um, different ones will do the job, and you know, dif- then you know, depending on what it is that you need to add on top of it. Um, my personal feeling, which is probably not in tune with the mainstream, is probably less and simpler is better than big and complex and more. Yeah. If you add more complexity, it just means there's more roadblocks uh, for the salespeople and it slows them down uh, when they need to be efficient. But I think, again, like people, you know, when all we had was Outlook, we did pretty good, right? And in fact, some would say closing rates were higher, right? And when all we had was Maximizer back in the old green screen days, you know, productivity-wise, I think salespeople were better. Um, so I love the tools that are now, you know, having lived in a green screen and having had to, you know, remember client information on the back of an index card. I'm not knocking it, but and I don't know if you've had the the chance to speak to Andy Paul, but he and I often talk about, you know, sales unplugged, like what would happen to salespeople if we took all this stuff away and just said, here's your phone and brain, go at it. Yeah. All right. So, so sendoutcards.com, LinkedIn, Google, Charlie app, 
some CRM of some sort. And basically, uh, I think one of the things that you said, well, kind of Google, but think outside the box and, and actually think and, and try. Don't, think, don't look for the easy answer. And I think some form of marketing automation, but, you know, marketing automation is one of those words like air, right? You know, like, what does it mean? It's all around you. What does it mean, right? So, like, you know, not everybody needs a Marketo. Some people do, right? Not everybody needs, you know, uh, the, the, the low end and some people do. So it's like, you know, I happen to use MailChimp, but, you know, it's just right for my business. If I was to start today, I'd probably use a different thing. But some sort of marketing automation that allows you to do the level of communication that you want to do with your market, which again forces you to go back and think a little bit in advance. Yeah. All right. Think all well, along, but in advance is good. <laughs> Try to at least. Uh, all right. So, Tibor, I really appreciate you coming. I've I've got another you know page of questions here I want to ask you, but we're we're running out of time, uh, and I want to respect your time. So, is there a way for people to reach out and get a hold of you? Of course, uh, the easiest is just go to myname.com. So tiborshanto.com, T-I-B-O-R-S-H-A-N-T-O.com. They can email me at tibor at tiborshanto.com. As I said, simple is good. Um, and if they can't wait and they want to phone me straight away, then they can pick up their phone and plus one four one six eight two two seven seven eight one, and all of this is up on LinkedIn. Excellent. Tibor, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To contact Adam about consulting services or speaking engagements, visit StartupSalesPodcast.com or email StartupSalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Tibor, let's uh, finish things off with the final five questions. What is your favorite okay. sales or leadership book? The 10-Day MBA. 10-Day MBA. Okay, by who? Yeah. I forget the dude's name. I want to say it's Tom something. If I reach back on my shelf, I might see it. But the 10-Day MBA. Uh, there it is. Hang on. Give me a sec. I will tell you. If you hear books crashing, just send the ambulance. <laughs> Stephen Silberg. Sil- Sil- S-I-L-B-I-G-E-R. Excellent. Do you have someone that you follow or read for sales and leadership ideas besides Andy Paul? I like Andy. Yeah. Um, there's a host of them. You know, I think, you know, I've always, um, I've always found things that, uh, Mike Kunkel says to be interesting. Um, I do like the stuff that used to come out of CEB. Um, especially, I mean, I like the challenger sale, but I think that to me, a better book was the challenger customer. So I, I follow some of their stuff. Um, I belong to a group or a network of sales trainers. Uh, I think there's one in Petartikla actually near you. Um, and so, I mean, I see their stuff all the time. I don't think that within sales, uh, there's anybody that I sort of like bookmark or rush to read and all that, only because I live in it all day. So there does come a point in the day where I want to sort of go and listen to some rock and roll or, you know, read a novel. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, yeah. Okay. I should, be, I should like to come to you where you are sometime in late October. I'm sorry? 
So now I was just saying, when I was talking rock and roll, I'm saying there's a rock and roll show where you are in late October that I wouldn't mind seeing, but that's a different topic. Next question. <laughs> that's another uh, podcast. All right. So what, are you available 24 seven or do you have strict personal time boundaries? And I want to ask this. A, and, go no, ahead and ask this. available 24 No, dude. I mean, you know, like I'm available by phone probably from 7.30 till 6.00. Um, I check my email. I'm getting better. I really challenge myself to be less plugged in. So I'm getting better at not checking my emails through the evening and the weekend. Like this weekend, I'm quite proud of myself. I think I only checked it about three times. Um, so, but having said that, you know, clients have my number and all that. So, you know, fortunately, I'm not in the business where something's going to blow up at two in the morning, so I don't have to worry about it. Unlike, you know, if I was a software provider. But, you know, when I talked earlier about making time available for the unexpected, the firefighting, I do do that. I do plug that in. I make, you know, I tell clients that they can reach out to me if they have an issue or question when it happens, as opposed to waiting. Um, so I am available, but not 24/7. No. Okay. And what do you see generally? Yeah. I'm sorry. What do you see generally when uh with the management that you're working with? What do I see? Yeah, are they available 24/7? No, I don't think they should be, you know. I, I really don't. I mean, I think we're human at the end of the day despite the fact that people think that salespeople are not. Um, you know, I think we're human and, you know, human beings are multidimensional and multifaceted. And frankly, even if I could function as a salesperson for 24 hours a day, I would be less valuable to my clients because I wouldn't be taking input from anywhere else and I'd just be recycling the same dirty air. Yeah. Okay. So the next question, um, and, and I think we, we kind of already covered this a little bit for yourself, so I want to ask it in a different way, is mm. what is your favorite tool used for sales? But I want to ask, What's what is the most commonly uh, sales tool that you've come across uh, with the companies you work with? So my favorite is the phone, and I know it's going to sound odd, but I think it's being used less and less and less and less, and I just don't understand why. And it's not because of my age, right? I just, you know, so but I think to me the phone is the key one, you know, and. Trying to recall the exact part of your second question, so maybe I can ask you to repeat it rather than answer wrong. <laughs> sure. What's a, what is the most commonly? What is the sales tool that you most commonly come across uh, when helping other businesses? It's Salesforce. Salesforce. We can debate the definition, but Salesforce. <laughs> all right. Last question. What one piece of advice do you have for all the founders, CEOs, and sales leaders out there? Go for diversity, and I don't mean that in sort of the popular cultural sense of, you know, get a woman and get somebody this, that, and the other. But, you know, get a diversity in thinking like we talked about earlier. You know, if, if you get somebody who's going to tell you the exact same thing that you – the way that you see the world, then how are you going to progress or go further? I mean, you're asking to basically tread water, right? So I'm not saying go out and get somebody a fundamental – you know, like – well, we'll avoid, you know, if you're a cat, don't go out and get a dog. But I mean, you know, go out and somebody that is intelligent and can think differently and most importantly can reason as to why they're thinking differently. And I think you and the company will grow. Excellent. Tibor, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure. My pleasure.